Well, hi, and welcome to The Lyle Shelton Show. It's great to have your company. I want to look at two really important elections that are coming up in this week's show. Well, they're not coming up in this week's show, but they're coming up in the next uh, six weeks or so. The first is the Queensland election on October 31, where Anastasia Palaszczuk's Labor government will be seeking a third term in office. Uh, the second election uh, will be that on uh, November 3, and that, of course, is the US presidential election where Donald Trump is seeking a second term. Uh, he's term limited. He can only have two terms, and he's up against the Democrat contender, Joe Biden. And I've got a very special guest coming up later in the show to talk about the US presidential election, and that's my friend George Christensen, who's the federal member for uh, Dawson in uh, North Queensland, seat of, uh, based in Mackay. And George is an avid follower of politics and particularly US politics. And I'm sure you'll enjoy his insights a little later in the show. But wherever you're watching today, whether on the video or if you're listening indeed on a podcast, uh, as I was listening to Good Source podcasts last week uh, in the car, it's great to have your company. And uh, I'm sure you're going to enjoy my first guest, and that's Dr. Mark Robinson, a good friend of mine. Uh, I've known Mark for uh, over 10 years since he first got into the Queensland Parliament, and uh, he's been one of the good guys in the Parliament, uh, turned a marginal seat into a safe LNP seat, and he's recontesting uh, this time around. But I want to get his analysis on what we can expect uh, coming up in this election. Mark, welcome to The Lyle Shelton Show. Hey, Lyle. Uh, pleasure to be with you. It's it's fantastic to have you, Mark. And, and just so people are aware, um, not only are you and I friends, but I've been doing some part-time work for you over the last year, which has been an absolute privilege and a delight. I've learned a lot about politics uh, from you in that time, but I just wanted our audience to be aware of that. And, and thank you, Mark, for the opportunity uh, to engage with you and with the uh, LNP. Oh, well, that's been a pleasure to... Uh, work with you uh, in a in a closer way, Lyle, and uh, I, it's been a mutual thing. Thanks, Mark. Well, well, Mark, um, we've got you here today because uh, I, I want to get your insights uh, into uh, the election, and particularly on some of the social view, social values, some of the things that are not talked about much in the mainstream media, but uh, have come to the fore um, because others are really driving them, the left of politics. But before we do, I, I think it's fair to say as we look at this election. Anastasia Palaszczuk seems to have been very much a puppet premier. Um, I, I know she's a nice lady. I've, I've seen her uh, speak live. She's very personable. But uh, it would seem if it's not Jackie Trad pulling the strings or the unions or Jeanette Young, it, it almost seems that someone else is pulling the strings apart from her. Is, is that a, a fair commentary on her premiership? Look, there's no doubt in the last uh, six years, even longer, that the Labor Party has... Uh, drifted further and further to the extreme left. And there's no doubt that uh, the Premier is captive to that. Uh, that's not where a lot of Queenslanders are at. Uh, it certainly doesn't appeal to your everyday worker, your blue collar worker. And we've seen a lot of those uh, people voting with their feet uh, at elections. We saw at the federal election where um, in Queensland, uh, a lot of uh, people from uh, more of a working background, a working class background, uh, supported GOMO. Uh, a lot of quiet Queenslanders that aren't vocal, uh, that that uh, don't jump up and down and uh, go to protests, uh, uh, but don't support the extreme uh, radical uh, social agenda of the left. Uh, we saw them desert Labor and uh, and continue to support uh, practical everyday 
family policies uh, that Scott Morrison put forward. No, that's a really important uh, point you make, Mark, and, and we saw uh, Queensland politics feature heavily in the last federal election because of the reasons you've spoken about, uh, Labor having abandoned its traditional worker base. Uh, we saw that with Jackie Trad, the then Demi uh, Deputy Premier, uh, opposing and doing everything she could to try and stop the Adani Carmichael mine, which was then approved in record time after the voters gave federal Labor a big whack uh, at the May 2019 poll. Uh, yeah, for sure. Uh, very clearly in Queensland, uh, Labor has lost its way. It's divided and split between what I call blue on green, the far left green end of Labor, and your blue collar worker that's your uh, everyday kind of Queenslander that um, is is not no longer really uh, supporting Labor. And uh, we, we'll see that play out, I believe, again in this state election, amongst many other things. And, of course, the state election will also... Uh, you know, we've got the, the situation with uh, trying to um, see the future in terms of coming out of recession and uh, the LNP has been putting forward and the leader, Deb Frecklington, uh, clear policies about uh, how we will, um, uh, you know, go forward and, and drag Queensland out of this recession and keep us safe at the same time. And they're going to be some of the big issues playing out at this state election. Uh, but I suspect there's that... Uh, that the, the um, social policies issues, I think they will still play a very important part because Queenslanders are worried about this radical uh, Labor government. It's the most radical Labor government in Queensland's history in terms of being so far to the left, politically correct, mm. social engineering, and those things are worrying your everyday Queenslander. They certainly are, Mark, and, um, and I do want to really unpack those with you. I, I just want to... Um come to one more um, aspect, I guess, of the economic policy, which is also radically left as well. Um, Pre-COVID, uh, we were hurtling towards a $90 billion state debt um, with no plan to pay that off. And that's Jackie Trader's treasurer for most of that period. Um, and, and then, of course, you've got the Labor government opposing um, wealth-creating mines like the Adani Carlock mine um, in central Queensland. And, and also the New Hope Ackland mine uh, just west of Toowoomba. So not only have you got a, a government that's radically social, socially, they're radical economically in terms of destroying jobs. Uh, what hope economically have we got of recovering from this uh, now recession that's, that's you know, COVID-induced but heading that way prior to COVID? Um, what hope have we got of digging ourselves out of this hole um, that's been created as a result of terrible, radical economic mismanagement? Well, certainly uh, very high taxing Labor governments and their policies uh, that uh, don't actually help uh, business in terms of red tape and green tape, excessive compliance. A lot of those um, uh, burdens and costs to business now are certainly dragging, uh, dragging us back. Uh, and what's needed in Queensland is uh, are policies that are going to um, help stimulate the economy. They're going to uh, help us to drag us out of the recession. And we're going to need to look at a whole range of issues to do with compliances, to do with no new, tax, new taxes. And uh, Deb Frecklington and the LNP have made a clear commitment that we, we will uh, put in the policies that bring economic growth, uh, but that involved... Um, not imposing new taxes and and higher taxation on people. So we're going to have to steer this ship very carefully 
uh, through these very uncharted waters, but it's not a time for uh, union-dominated uh, government where the union bosses dictate to government uh, what's going to happen in terms of employment. We, we're going to need to be nimble. We're going to need to be innovative. We're going to need to invest in tourism and the things that will uh, dig us uh, out of the recession that we're in. Well, that, that's certainly promising, Mark, and we certainly know from the LNP side of politics that people are there because they know the value of a dollar, they know how wealth is created, that it doesn't come just out of the pockets of the taxpayer. But let's move along to some of these uh, social policies. Um, and, uh, you know, you've talked about uh, Labor abandoning what mainstream Australians would, would normally hold dear. And, and I think probably one of the craziest policy developments we've seen in recent years, and it's been doubled down on by the Palaszczuk Labor government, that's this whole transgender agenda, teaching children at school that their gender is fluid. And uh, the um, uh, we've seen this uh, respectful relationships uh, program, which is really just um, a flow on from the, the gender fluid safe schools program, made compulsory in Queensland schools. Um, Deb Frecklington's made some important um, promises with regard to this sort of material in the curriculum. Can you just outline that to us? Yeah, look, uh, yeah, Lyle, look, these are these are difficult areas to try to navigate through, but we have a few things happening in terms of providing what's the optimal or best education for our, our children. Uh, Queensland kids, when it comes to uh, any form of assessment, are down the bottom uh, when you compare uh, across all of the states. They're not getting the kind of uh, education that they need, and that's because of the way that the state Labor government uh, has been running education. We've got a crowded curriculum to start with, uh, with things like uh, uh, the teachers' union uh, that want to run education. Uh, they want to be able to recruit uh, children uh, into unionism, and that should be part of their education rather than just learning the place of unions as you would normally in a political, uh, in a lesson on politics. They want to come in and sell and promote unionism. We saw uh, the SOP2 um, particular communities with the Safe Schools program. Again, something crowding curriculums where under the guise of just anti-bullying, which I think we'd all say it's important for children to learn about, um, you know, living with people uh, harmoniously and dealing properly with people, but uh, and not being a bully, uh, under the guise of um, anti-bullying programs, safe schools came in across a number of states and we, we saw what that really was about. It was really a backdoor for bringing in um, gender uh, fluid theory, uh, which is, is not backed by scientific evidence. Uh, it was an attempt to um, change uh, the... Um, uh, the, the the way that works in our schools uh, instead of actually a broad-based anti-bullying program, which which Safe Schools wasn't. It was a very dangerous program. So the LNP uh, in government in Queensland, we will review the curriculum with a view to getting back to the basics of education that will give our children a better start than they're getting now. And part of that is decluttering it and get, getting rid of things like uh, Safe Schools, which is uh, really respectful relationships by another name, which is yeah, obviously a misnaming of it, really. Um, and we, we will be making changes in those areas. Yeah, look, uh, I think uh, ordinary Queenslanders will will certainly welcome that. Um, of course, as you said, no one wants to see a child bullied. Um, of course, we want to support any child that might be struggling with their gender identity. Uh, that, that, of course, goes without saying. 
but uh, no one uh, seriously believes that kids should be taught in school that uh, they could be a boy trapped in a girl's body and vice versa. And I, and I think, Mark, you know, a lot of people took heart at your um, LNP conference last November when uh, Deb Frecklington said, uh, we will cut out the classes that kids don't need, such as transgender studies. Now, it doesn't get any clearer than that, and I think um, parents in yeah. Queensland will certainly welcome that. Yeah, look, there's a very clear commitment to that um, by uh, Deb Frecklington. Uh, she's listened very carefully, again, to quiet Queenslanders, everyday Queenslanders who don't want us to necessarily uh, have to get up and, 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 and argue about these things, but uh, have made very clear their values and their views when it comes to the ballot box. And we saw that in the federal election, and I believe we'll see it again in the state election. Yeah. Uh, and I think Queenslanders, uh, they don't buy into the social engineering. Uh, they don't buy into experimenting with our children. They don't like when school authorities take, um, take responsibility and accountability off them or take off them the rights to know what's best for their own children. And I think we're seeing that. We're seeing a move towards that under, again, a very left extreme Labor government here in Queensland. Fortunately, perhaps not quite as extreme as the Victorian Labor uh, government and what we see in the ACT, but yet uh, a government that seems to be heading down that direction and it, it's um, uncharted waters, it's unsafe, and Queensland parents don't want to lose the right to be parents and make decisions and medical decisions that have impact on the mental health of their children. They don't want those decisions taken away from them. Yeah. Now, you're quite right. Um, it's interesting your observation that uh, the Queensland government is heading in that extreme direction, uh, like the ACT government under um, the Labor Chief Minister, Andrew Barr, and, and of course, the notorious uh, Labor Premier, Daniel Andrews, in Victoria. Um, we, we've just seen, uh, just before this parliament closed, um, legislation into the parliament that criminalises health professionals um, with up to 18-month jail terms uh, who, who might uh, suggest to a child that perhaps they shouldn't change their gender or they should watch and wait. Again, that's pretty extreme stuff. You're not far behind uh, the ACT and, and uh, the radical Daniel Andrews uh, with, with this sort of crazy legislation. And, and Mark, I think um, our audience would be pleased to know that uh, the LNP voted against that legislation on common sense and medical grounds. Uh, yes, uh, Lyle, you're right. That's what happened in the Queensland Parliament recently. Uh, the attempt to uh, force through, uh, again, some very radical, extreme uh, social experimentation uh, uh, on um, in, in the Parliament was the, the, the government brought in and tried to uh, and, and did force through uh, the gay conversion therapy um, a section of, of what was otherwise a, a health bill that had other good elements in it uh, and to try and just sneak that through when the reality is that uh, any kind of extreme um, counselling from the past that might have involved certain uh, techniques that were, uh, you know, electrocution, shock, you know, these sort of crazy yeah. things. The red exist. herrings, weren't they? Red herrings, they don't even happen anymore. Uh, absolutely. It wasn't about that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, what we're seeing uh, is this extreme Labor government trying to um, come down into our everyday lives, trying to um, you know, create a nanny state, just dictating to us, uh, you know, and taking away our freedoms 
of, of thought, freedoms of conscience, freedom of expression, freedom of religion. We see these freedoms being encroached on um, by these just uh, extreme, um, you know, social engineering of, of our values. Well, speaking of extreme, um, let's go to another achievement, so-called, of uh, the Palaszczuk Labor government, really the trad Labor government, and um, that is the uh, notorious abortion to birth uh, laws that were passed in about October 2018. Uh, now, again, uh, the LNP under Deb Frecklington has announced in the lead-up to this election, and uh, we'll put that screenshot on a bit later, um, Dave, if that's okay, but um, or, although well, while it's there on the screen, I'll, I'll address it. Um, of course, Jackie Trad uh, organised a one-year celebration of her extreme abortion laws at uh, the Loft Bar uh, here in West End, where I'm coming to you from uh, today, and uh, celebrating um, the killing of unborn babies. I mean, this is just extreme. And, of course, Des Houghton, the wonderful uh, former editor of the Courier-Mail, uh, got wind of this, and um, he revealed that uh, Palaszczuk had told Trad not to have a celebration support uh, of the first anniversary of abortion but she went ahead and had it anyway what do you think this tells us about how uh, you know we've used the word extreme a lot in this show today already mark but um th there's no words for this type of behavior oh, look it was something akin to 1960s kind of sexual revolution stuff it was just crazy uh you know just crazy uh, stuff um <laughs> I think people thought it was barbaric, it was abhorrent. Uh, to, to celebrate an act that uh, destroys one life and damages another and make a party of that, uh, yeah. you know, a, a, a abortion of itself is, is so impacting on, even if you look at the impact on women, uh, the, the, the research is showing the destructive uh, impact it has on their mental health. Uh, women are severely affected by abortion in a number of cases. Some never recover from it, yeah. uh, and yet, and yet, this celebration of something that is a very difficult thing. When I, you know, as as a man, you know, I, I'm not saying that we fully understand all that a woman goes through when she finds out mm -hmm. that she unexpectedly she's pregnant. Um, maybe, yeah, and and that's and that's you know, we need to be respectful of of, of that process. Yeah, absolutely, Martin. Yeah, no, and of course, your wife, Julie, has uh, worked for years uh, supporting women with uh, unsupported pregnancies. Uh, you and I have both uh, heard Jaya Taki, uh, I think is one of the bravest women in Australia, tell in tears her story of how she was coerced by her rugby league star boyfriend, Tim Simona, to kill her unborn baby and how sad that made her feel, how, how, how gut-wrenching that was for her. So th and th that leads me to, um, I guess, you know, some of the key commitments that um, the LNP has made on this important social policy issue. Uh, one of them uh, that Deb Frecklington has announced is that uh, there'll be um, a, a review by an LNP government of the coercion of women by men to kill their unborn babies. Um, that, that's a pretty uh, substantial step forward uh, in what's been a one-way traffic in the abortion debate for, for decades. Uh, yes, Lyle. I mean, we were all horrified going through Jackie Trad's most dangerous abortion laws in the Western world that she forced through the parliament after two failed attempts where Queenslanders by the tens of thousands said, these laws go way too far. And so what we're left with is um, legislation that does need uh, reviewing and does need amending and changing. 
And the LNP has made it clear, and I want to acknowledge the leader, Deb Frecklington, that um, as a woman leading in this area, that she uh, has, has made it clear that an LNP government will review uh, Queensland's extreme abortion laws, radical abortion laws, uh, and particularly in three areas, um, in terms of gestation limits, in terms of counselling arrangements, uh, and protections against uh, coercion, as you, as you mentioned there, Lyle, where women are regularly every day in Brisbane and in Queensland, women are being coerced, even within domestic violent arrangements. Yeah. Uh, in d domestic violent situations, I should say, women are, are being coerced uh, into an abortion, into unwanted abortions. And this is the underbelly that no one wants to talk about, the force and the pressure that women feel uh, to abort by some men. Uh, and so th this all has to be looked at. It's, it's, it's not right. Uh, and and uh, we need to make sure that we put some protections um, and safeguards back into that legislation. Mark, I think that'll be applauded by a lot of uh, ordinary Queenslanders or quiet Queenslanders, as you rightly call them. And, and whilst our culture sadly might uh, tacitly support the idea of abortion, uh, I think you'd be hard-pressed to find anyone in the street who supports abortion all the way to birth as Jackie Trad rammed through the parliament. And that's why I think it's fantastic that uh, the LNP under Deb Frecklington has said they're going to review those gestational limits because I think uh, anyone would agree that uh, it's just gone way too far. Oh, absolutely, Lyle. And, and as we, you know, for those who study science, who study embryology, uh, you only have to look at the facts of the, the impact that abortion has on uh, a, a, an unborn baby, uh, especially as that baby, uh, you know, has all of its systems developed, the heartbeat at so many weeks, a circulatory system, uh, sensation at, at certain numbers of weeks, at which then as the nervous system develops, fully sensory within the womb. I think as we're uh, seeing more and more research around um uh, what happens uh, uh, in the womb uh, with the baby, uh, with with uh, you know embryo the embryology and development, we're understanding more and more about how horrific abortion really is. Especially, it's always the taking of a human life that's a separate human life, which makes it a justice issue. It's more than a health issue for those who uh, just parrot the rhetoric. Oh, it's a health issue. It's between only a woman and 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 her baby. Um, you know, it, it's a justice issue as well because you're talking about another human life. Yeah. Uh, no, it's really, really important, Mark, and um, I think uh, this review will be uh, a big step forward in this debate because it really, it really has been a non-debate for decades in this country. Mark, I, I just our time's just about gone, and we've got George Christensen uh, waiting on the line. But um, in uh, my book, and sorry, this is a shameless plug, uh, and, and viewers might notice uh, some pro product placement behind me. But uh, you get a mention in, in my book, and um, and that's because you are one of a, a handful of parliamentarians who has sought to shine a light on some of the horrific practices and the, the dirty secrets of the abortion industry. Um, on page 104 of my book, I, I record that you asked questions of the then Health Minister, Cameron Dick, about babies born alive and left to die. Can you just very quickly in these final moments just uh, tell us what motivated you to do that? Well, I, I kept hearing anecdotally that this was occurring in Queensland hospitals, that babies from failed abortions were 
born and left to die in a petri dish and I, I i could barely believe it and i was hearing it from other states as well and so i thought well i'll ask i'll ask ask the question and see what comes back I was horrified and I've asked two health ministers over my 11 years that question uh, and when they have provided information at, at one particular health minister came back with 200 cases in Queensland of, of babies born alive uh, and not all of them and with... That, that was um, over a 10-year period, wasn't it, Mark? Sorry. That was 2005 to 2015, I think, that those 200 babies. So. Yeah, roughly that period and... Uh, uh, that not all of them are born with congenital abnormalities um, in, incompatible with life. Some of them were healthy babies. And then when I also learned some of them were born to healthy women. And when you say that to Queenslanders, they say, there's no way that's occurring in our Queensland hospitals. And I say, well, it is. The health minister told us it is. So, you know, I think that we really have to look at that. Now, I think that's another area we need to look at. Other states are Western Australia, Nick Goyer and Great. Yeah a member of the parliament there uh, is, is championing that there. I think people are looking about that there needs to be wine back in a lot of these areas uh, because they're, they're barbaric, they're un-Australian and things have Mark, gone through. Mark, the things we're talking about tonight, um, they, they, they are unbelievable. Um, and just, just finally, as a parliamentarian, you've battled these issues and tried to shine a light in dark places where there's lies instead of truth. Does it disappoint you that very few people would even understand the issues that we're talking about tonight and, and that there even seems to be little realisation of them, even amongst church people? It's, it is frustrating sometimes, Lyle. I mean, it's one of many, many things as a state MP that I do and, and you're busy with many, many things. Yeah, um, I know, I know yeah. that from working in your office, Mark. <laughs> uh, but, these but are when just, I take yeah. time to think of it and, you, you know, it, it is really... Very frustrating when people don't know the facts out there because I think the average everyday quiet Queenslander, when they hear these things, they say, that has to change. How, how do I do something about that? That's wrong. And uh, so, you know, I certainly say to all your, your viewers and listeners, um, join us, help us, uh, put your shoulder to the plough and um, help us bring change, support us through the election, support good candidates who are life-affirming candidates who... Uh, are prepared to do something about it because, yes, at times yeah. uh, it's not easy to raise these issues. Nobody wants to just keep flagging controversial issues in, in the parliament. Yeah. None of us really want to talk about these things all the time. I just want to see action. I want to yeah. see us do the right thing and look after these precious little lives, little Queenslanders that deserve better than what they're getting. Yeah, and, of course, their mothers. Mark, uh, really well said. And, uh, look, our time is well and truly gone, but I just want to say thanks so much for taking the time to speak to the Lyle Shelton Show today. And uh, I certainly wish you all the best uh, in the upcoming election and uh, the LNP as well. I know that's a partisan comment, but uh, if you look at the policies that we've unpacked of the other side, uh, it would be unconscionable to vote uh, any other way in my view. So, so Mark Robinson, thanks so much for your time and uh, all the best on October 31. My pleasure, Lyle. Thank you. Well, welcome back to The Lyle Shelton Show. It's a real treat to have one of my great friends in life, George Christensen, the federal member for Dawson, based in Mackay, uh, to come and join us. And uh, George is going to help me unpack the US presidential election that's coming up on November the 3rd. I know George is an avid follower of politics. He's also got a, a show uh, on YouTube and uh, podcast. It's called Conservative One. And as a way to prime our conversation about US politics, uh, and I know there's some clips that you'll see that aren't 
purely about US politics, but these are really inspirational. This is from the intro of George's Conservative One podcast. Take a look at this. Never give in. Never give in. Never, never, never. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. Socialists don't like ordinary people choosing, for they might not choose socialism. We cannot afford to be so politically correct anymore. Conservative One with George Christensen. George, uh, welcome to The Lyle Shelton Show. Thanks, Lyle. Thanks for having me on your show. Uh, it's a real privilege, George, and um, I love watching your show just to watch that clip. Um, the, the content <laughs> and your guests are, are fantastic, but uh, what do you think Winston Churchill, Ronald Reagan and Margaret Thatcher would make of where we've come to today, given that they were forerunners warning of uh, the fruits of socialism? Yeah, well, uh, these are the uh, the great leaders of uh, the Anglosphere, and I think that um, they would be shaking their heads. Uh, if you watch that Ronald Reagan speech in full, uh, it's called A Time for Choosing, and anyone can go on YouTube and just uh, type that in, Ronald Reagan, A Time for Choosing, and you will see that the entirety of that snippet of the speech that I just uh, put in the intro and it is a warning to the world, a warning to the world about uh, the trajectory that socialism will lead you into. Uh, and I think that uh, that people would be looking at, you know, the woke corporatism, the rise of the welfare state, uh, the dismantlement of unity by doing away with, um, uh, I guess the last vestiges of Christian social order in uh, most Western countries, mm. and they would be shaking their heads. That they would indeed. And um, look, that speech of Reagan's, of course, is is a classic. And uh, Winston Churchill, Thatcher, there. Um, we've just in the last few weeks seen Donald Trump uh, give his acceptance speech at the Republican National Convention. It was all virtual this year because of COVID, and so he had a very staged event outside the White House. Um, I'm sure, like me, George, uh, you watched it on YouTube. Um, how do you think that speech will compare um, in, in, in the pantheon of great speeches, given the, the, the poignancy of the mm. moment where we are at this point in world history? Well, I think that Donald Trump is, uh, is certainly not a Ronald Reagan, but he is the leader that we need right now in the free world for our times because... Uh, things have gotten crazy. That's the reality. Things have gotten very, very crazy. And uh, you need some pushback uh, against that. And Trump is the man to do it. And he has done it. And he will continue to do it. And I think that uh, in his speech, uh, it, it, it will... Uh, look, I don't know that any of Trump's speeches are going to go down as uh, the momentous sort of speeches that, um, you know, are recorded in the annals of history. Uh, but they're certainly gripping for people who are in the audience and they certainly speak to the times uh, and speak to those to those people. I think that the best speech I heard was the high-energy speech that they ended up turning into an ad that Donald Trump did where he spoke about how he was fighting for the American people uh, and he was fighting against the globalists who had um, basically seized control of all the levers of power in the United States. And that was fairly high energy. And actually, for a long while, 
I hadn't seen anything substantial like that from the Trump camp, from Donald Trump himself, until I saw that speech uh, during the Republican National Convention. And since then, I've actually seen him deliver several high-energy speeches at his rallies that he's starting again. And I think that that's a, a good thing, despite what all the uh, critics are saying about not having him because of coronavirus, the sort of virus that uh, has a 997 out of a thousand survival rate, but let's not talk about that. Um, you know, he needs high energy back in order to be re-elected, and that's what we're seeing right now. I think he will be re-elected because the energy is coming back into the campaign. Certainly hasn't been there with Joe Biden. Hmm. No, I certainly agree with you. Um, Donald Trump is no Ronald Reagan or Margaret Thatcher or Winston Churchill, but uh, I watched uh, his Mount Rushmore speech just a few weeks before the Republican yeah. National Convention. Um, it was a brilliant uh, annunciation of, of US history, um, the, the great patriots that had built uh, the United States, um, the pioneers, um, those who had uh, fought for freedom. And, and, and of course, he followed on with a lot of those themes in his um, White House speech during the, the convention. Um, if you look at that where the battle lines are drawn now and just how far to the left the Democratic Party has moved in terms of um, socialist policy, in terms of radical social policy, um, it, it really isn't hyperbole uh, as um, to say, as Donald Trump says, that this is probably the most momentous and important US presidential election um, in history. Now, that, that sounds like a big statement, but I don't think that's too far wrong. Uh, what are yeah. your thoughts? Yeah, look, um, you certainly do. As, as someone who's been in politics in Australia, you always hear every election is the most important election. Uh, but but in, 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 this, in this scenario, I'm going to say, yes, actually, for the United States and for the free world, I think it is. Uh, there is so much riding on the outcome of this presidential race. Are we going to have America succumb to the um, philosophy of woke? Are we going to have uh, America uh, slide into the sort of stagnant waters of socialism that's captured largely Europe? Are we going to have America that's going to um, be defeatist, uh, be be introverted and in looking at itself and, you know, beating its own chest for all of the su supposed ills that America has caused? Or are we going to have a strong America that's going to be able to push back on the rise of communist China, which really does threaten the free world and particularly our part of the world. So they're the challenges that are there and um, it's make or break. You know, we're going to have either Donald Trump, high energy, um, knows what he's there, who, who is there to be, represent, what he's there for, or you're going to have Joe Biden that, quite frankly, probably doesn't know where he is uh, half the time of the day and I'm being a little bit facetious there, but... There's an issue. There's an issue. And, you know, it won't be Joe Biden's agenda. It'll be the, the agenda of the left and where he's directed. Um, Kamala Harris is vice president. Uh, she's quite quite left, uh, unashamedly, and um, he'll be directed by people like her and, and others that are now in control of the Democrats. Well, I want to come back to Kamala Harris, but um, you, you raise a really important point about the rise of China. And, and this is why I think this election is right up there in terms of, you know, being one of the most consequential that we've faced, certainly in our lifetimes. Um, I was listening to Professor David Flint, uh, another good source uh, contributor where, mm. where both your and my shows uh, appear on that wonderful platform that uh, Dave Pillow has provided. But David Flint said that um, the choice will be between uh, more 
managed decline of America's military might and their economic right. might under a democratic uh, administration or strengthening uh, America's military and economy under a Donald Trump administration. And, right. and certainly his first four years pre-COVID, he's proven that he was able to do both. And that has really turned the tide on, on what has been American decline. And of course, American decline means Chinese ascendancy, which means subservience and obedience uh, by countries like Australia. Hmm. And look, people do get uh, Donald Trump wrong sometimes. I mean, they like to think that he is a warmonger, anything, but actually, uh, you know, if the past election, uh, past presidential election went a different way, uh, America and probably the West could be at war with Russia by now because uh, Hillary Clinton was proposing no-fly zones over Syria and um, Russia wasn't having that. And if that had happened, there would have been a hot war, hot conflict with Russia. Um, Trump is only interested in in protecting America. America first is his philosophy. Um, I'm going to say hot on the heels of that is protecting his allies like Australia. Mm -hmm. um, so that's why China is a different a different kettle of fish to conflicts in the Middle East. It really is. And um, Trump realises that that's uh, an existential threat to the United States as well as Australia. We have never seen since the Cold War the level of espionage, uh, you know, and, and, and attacks through cyber attacks and hacking and uh, uh, just foreign interference that we are seeing now out of communist China. And, and I don't think we're going to get the pushback from from Joe Biden. I mean, there are you just got to go looking to see that there are numerous examples of Joe Biden saying that he's um, friendly with China. Um, there's one clip out there where he, he reckons he's going to get some advice off Xi Jinping on how to become president. Um, you know, uh, uh, and, and now, not to mention, I won't go into it too far because I don't know all of the elements of it and also because it's probably defamatory. But there are family connections, business connections inside of China. Yeah, uh, and that's going to be concerning because it raises the conflict of interest issue. Interesting. Well, well, certainly uh, the Democrats under Joe Biden are a far cry from what Trump is proposing. Um, and as we've said, Trump is no Reagan, but you know that line in the sand line in the Reagan uh, uh, clip that we played at the start from your Conservative One uh, podcast really does, I guess, sum up, I think, uh, what's needed with China. I mean, uh, Obama's line in the sand uh, just kept drifting, uh, whether it was in Syria with um, with Assad or, or whether it was in the South China Sea as those islands became militarised. And uh, at least Trump uh, is certainly pushing back on all that. So, so at a geopolitical level, really important. But uh, let's just look at some of the economic issues. Um, just in the last week or so, you've had Joe Biden um, looking at the... California wildfires, their equivalent of bushfires, which they've got a hot mm. summer there again. Happen and, all uh, the time. Happen all the time. And he's calling Donald Trump a climate arsonist because four more years of Donald Trump will cause more wildfires. Now, you know, I, I, what Joe Biden is offering is, is more cutting of, um, of the use of fossil fuels to generate electricity. We've already got blackouts happening in California, this guy's just going to drive the economy into the ground with these sort of policies. Well, um, I think that uh, President Trump should be sending Joe Biden a thank you card again because um, 
his comments have probably just captured all of that coal country that uh, swung heavily to Donald Trump, uh, uh, you know, all in the Rust Belt. Um, so, uh, you know, Joe's, Joe Biden's falling into the old trap again. I mean, uh, the one thing that this uh, COVID uh, pandemic has shown is that when something a little bit more existential is put in front of people, that they forget about this um, climate change nonsense. They forget about this concept that somehow politicians can control what the planet is doing, can control the weather, can control whether it uh, snows or whether the sun's too hot. Or It's just nonsense. And um, I think it's put it in perspective, and I sincerely doubt that um, that line of thinking is going to capture many more people than what it already has captured. In fact, uh, right now, uh, I saw a poll and it was out of the US and climate change did not even rank on the list. No, um, pe people just want to know their lights are going to work and um, they've got blackouts in California as, as a result of the, the windmills there. Um, and it, and yeah, they want to know so. they've got jobs and got a future for their for, for their kids uh, in, in, in jobs, in manufacturing jobs and manufacturing is a great user of energy. And there's one thing that Trump's done and he's brought back manufacturing in a big way to the USA. Uh, he was in uh, Michigan the other day uh, boasting about how many car plants he's, he's actually got that state. And, um, you know, they love him for it. They were cheering from the rafters every time he was saying how many car plants he got them. It's almost like his confidence uh, begets confidence, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, it does, it does. And um, he's high energy, and I think that, uh, you know, this is being very much a, a commentator of the politics uh, and the PR of what's going on in the US at the moment. But yep. the high energy, if it's maintained, is going to be really juxtaposed against um, Sleepy Joe, and I think that's exactly what, uh, what the Trump campaign wants. They want to move... The campaign away from what the Democrats have tried to style it as, which is a referendum around the person of Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. Now, the person of Donald Trump, you and I, we might not have much time for the person of Donald Trump, um, you know, same with the average American, but the policies of Donald Trump are a very, very different thing. Uh, and the policies of Donald Trump and where he is going to take America is very, very um, uh that that is that is good for the country, but it's 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 very positive for most uh, Americans. They like the idea of America being great again. They like the idea of getting the jobs back on shore. They like the idea of manufacturing coming back. Um, conservatives like the idea of a real pro-life president who's actually doing something mm -hmm. by changing the numbers in the Supreme Court that may at some stage overturn the disastrous Roe v. Wade decision that uh, has caused the death of of millions of millions quite frankly 50 million plus since 1973 um, I'm, yeah thanks for mentioning that george i wanted to come to uh, trump's social policy and uh on last week's edition of the lyle shelton show i showed some clips of um trump uh speaking at the white house in his nomination acceptance speech um some very positive and strong pro-life statements um mm. more so than you would have even heard from reagan who, who was seen as a great pro-life president but sadly delivered little for the pro-life movement mm. but um you mentioned kamala harris earlier i think a lot of people don't realize that um joe biden's democratic running mate 
was the Democrat Attorney General of California who went after uh, the pro-life citizen journalist David Daleiden right. who exposed um, on Planned secret Parenthood. recorded videotapes, yeah, Planned Parenthood selling unborn baby parts uh, for money. Um, now, this is Kamala Harris, uh, went after him and prosecuted him uh, in her role as Attorney General. Now she's running for Vice President of the US. Uh, pretty clear choice for Conservatives. Well, it is a clear choice. I mean, for that uh, to occur, she's... They're vitriolic. I mean, uh, uh, that was a um, citizen journalists who... I shouldn't even use the word citizen. Journalists who exposed Planned Parenthood for selling baby parts, selling body parts of unborn children and doing deals over dinner tables, over restaurant and cafe tables. Um, and they exposed it. And as a result, she wanted to come after those journalists uh, for goodness knows what, breach of privacy or all the rest of it. Um, you know, <laughs> turn the tables. If it was a conservative organisation and it was CNN out for them, uh, they'd be patting them on the back. But yeah. she came after him, and and it's symptomatic of the Democrats now to the point where um, this is why, on the stage at the Republican National Convention, they had that that nun. Now mm. I can't recall her name off the top of my head, um, uh, but she's not just a, a you know from, any from old, the little any sisters old before that's she, right uh, that's right yeah. I think she she was and. Um, uh, more than that, she used to be a medical doctor herself and did a lot of work in uh, third world countries before becoming a nun. And uh, what you're seeing is a lot of Catholics actually realising that while Donald Trump is certainly not a perfect Christian, that he is doing things in that area that no other US president has done and they want to get behind him. To the point where, where the Democrats had to wheel out um, a left-wing priest in James Martin from the Society of Jesus, uh, a Jesuit, um, extremely left, goes against most of the Catholic Church's teachings anyway, if you've read his stuff. And, um, you know, they prated him out to try and say, hey, hey, we still get uh, favourable support from Catholic leaders. Um, I don't know if you've seen this yet, Lyle, but uh, there was another priest straight after that by the name of James Altman, Father James Altman, that's put out a video there basically saying that if you are Catholic, you cannot vote Democrat. And wow. it has taken off. It has taken off. I mean, I've got to say it's probably uh, a bit too much even for me. I mean, it's it's quite political, but uh, yeah. he does make the point that there is only one party that's now, you know, completely and utterly in favour of abortion on demand and that no uh, faithful Catholic can cast their vote for that party, um, and it's it's powerful. His bishop's trying to boot him out uh, because of it, mm. but um, he's finding a lot of support from all quarters of the Catholic Church. So it's going to be interesting. Well, George, sadly, I think you know, that's true, and um, we we have to call things as they are, as as that um, priest Altman uh, did. I had hadn't seen that clip. But uh, we have got to the stage now where the choice is so stark between the Democrats. And um, I was just talking with Dr. Mark Robinson, the member for Ujuru in the state parliament here in Queensland, uh, about Jackie Trad's abortion to birth law. Whether it's Labor in Australia or the Democrats in the US, uh, they've just become more and more extreme. And uh, they don't have any pro-life voices um, within their parties anymore.
But, you know, this is interesting because the Republicans also in the US have been great at just paying lip service and given I'm in the LNP, I won't say anything about the Australian context. But uh, anyway, there's been a lot of lip service in the US from presidents about being pro-life, yeah. but nothing's ever been done about it. And I remember reading a book called The Samaritan Strategy by someone from the sort of evangelical uh, religious right. Um, this is many, many years ago, probably 20 years ago. And they were saying that after the Reagan revolution that um, they had failed and he was pulling out of... of the political engagement to do something else because, you know, these Republicans say all they want about, you know, uh, uh, religious freedom and, and being pro-life, but nothing's ever done. Well, now something is being done yeah. and yeah. it's startling people. I think it's even startling uh, some Republicans who are probably set in their ways of, hey, 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 mm. we, just tell, we just tell the religious right and the conservative Christians... Um, you know, what they want to hear. We don't actually follow through and do anything. Um, now he's doing it, and boy, oh, boy, isn't it shaking things up. It's probably making people like Kamala Harris absolutely crazy because they've never seen that before. Well, it is, and I think it does, explains why the left have become so rabid, why we're seeing riots in the streets, uh, because they are seeing a, a Republican president and an administration, whether it's in the pro-life area and let's be clear, you know, as you said earlier, you know, Trump is no Christian. I don't pretend he's a Christian at all. I think he's um, courting uh, the uh, evangelical vote in the US and good on him. That's politics. Um, I'll, I'll be fair. I, I, I think he's a flawed Christian, Lyle. I think he's a flawed Christian. Yeah, look, who are, you know, it's not for us to judge yeah. the hearts of people and certainly his track record. He's had a, a very colourful past. But, uh, you know, um, Bill Clinton uh, was probably a greater abuser of women than Donald Trump was, and certainly JFK, who had uh, prostitutes regularly in the White House. Um, you know, these are sordid, sordid men. Um, so, you know, I don't want to unpack everyone's past, but Trump is a flawed person, um, uh, as are many other presidents. But as you say, he's doing what he said, whether it's on securing America's borders, whether it's on the economy, bringing manufacturing back, whether it's getting energy going uh he he's a doer and he's thrown a rock in the pond uh, he's drained the swamp as he said he's actually done things as a politician that's so unique in politics uh george yeah. as, as you would notice uh, from your experience yeah well he's kept faith with those that put him there and promises um, made promises delivered uh, that's that's it that's the mantra and he's running on it now what's got him unstuck of course is this pandemic and i gotta say um a black swan event no one would ever have predicted it's taken. It's knocked the American economy. It's knocked the global economy about. And um, but I think that now eyes are wide open to the fact that a lot of people in the U.S. and actually by osmosis other people around the world have now. Um, you know, I don't want to go down the tinfoil hat of pandemic and stuff like this, but I will just say the old saying of never let a crisis go to waste. And there are certainly. A lot of people that have now used the pandemic in a as a political weapon and have tried to use it against Donald Trump. Well, that was going well for him. For a while there, I got to say, I thought, oh, I don't know. I think his re-election chances have just really dipped. And I was very uncertain until a little thing happened uh, after a guy was very... You know, uh, someone was killed. Um, George Floyd, that was a very sad event. Um, sh probably shouldn't have went down like that. I think there's a lot more that's going to come out. 
about that incident. I've seen the full video, and the full video is very different to the short sort of videos that you've seen. Um, uh, I'm going to say that people probably still did the wrong thing, but uh, much more is going to come out of that, that. But it triggered all of these unacceptable riots. I mean, protests in the street is fine. But when people are having their cars smashed, when people are being dragged out of their stores and beaten, when people are being shot for trying to protect businesses, um, when people are having, you know, we've seen scenes where people are marching down streets and suburbs telling people that you white folk are going to have to leave your houses because we're going to come in and, and take ownership of it. I mean, that stuff is beyond the pale. You see restaurateurs, diners, uh, having their tables overturned. And I got to tell you, every time something like that breaks out, you've just added another person to Trump's ledger. I'm uh, sure that's he's... true, George. I mean, it's been shocking to watch all that going on in America. And you, know, you and I have both travelled in America. It's a great country, but it's a, it's a very polarised and divided country. But what I've found obscene about all that is the Democrats virtually saying, well, the way to stop the rioting is, you know, don't vote for Donald Trump, yeah. as if it's... That uh, it's fault. like a yeah. I mean, it's just ridiculous. But I mean, firstly, their angle, as was the media's, uh, and they're pretty much uh, two sides of the same coin the media and the Democrats. But uh, uh, you know, these were peaceful protests. Uh, you would have seen it, everyone's seen it. Here's uh, you know, half a city up in flames behind the reporter, and the tagline, as well as what he's saying, is fiery but mostly peaceful protests yeah. meanwhile uh, half the city's been burnt down you know yeah. ridiculous sort of stuff so there was a, a an allegation going out there that oh no these are just peaceful protesters they're not rioters but people knew the truth they were seeing it all over the internet they were seeing it on facebook they were seeing it on youtube because people were filming it and uh, i think that the attitude flipped around to enough is enough to where the the democrats then said well we've got to make a response here because trump's Getting ahead, getting ahead of steam because he's the only one talking about this violence in the streets and doing something about it. That's so right. they come out and then they said what you said, which is just a ridiculous thing that yeah. Donald Trump's causing it. Well, Donald Trump's not out there, you know, with the with the hammers and with the with the knives and with the guns. Um, it, it's yeah. the mob, the leftist mob. That's right. Yep. Um, George, um, like you, I think Donald Trump is going to be re-elected and I think he'll be comfortably re-elected. There's a prediction. You you heard it first on the Lyle Shelton show. But um, do you think the left will accept um, his re-election? I, I fear that they won't. I fear we'll see some more violence. And yeah. I remember being in Washington, D.C. Uh, for, for President Trump's uh, inauguration and the day after, um, I was with some people and we were travelling from Washington, D.C. up to Philadelphia. And, and I just saw the anger of uh, the women uh, who fronted up for that women's march the day after the inauguration. There are tens of thousands of them. They were driving down the uh, freeways from uh, New York down to Washington, D.C. We saw them at the train station. Just this sea of seething anger that Donald Trump uh, was in the White House. Um, I'm worried we might see that sort of irrational... Yeah anger on steroids if he gets a second term oh we will uh but that's absolute craziness i mean the guy hadn't even um you know come to office yet he hadn't even yeah. uh haven't even done, did anything and, and and here they were protesting in the streets about his very yeah. existence it's insane stuff but it, it does show that polarization uh in the united states 
Look, I actually think that it's going to be close. Um, okay. I think that if what it was normal to – well, I mean, well, if, if he's won the uh, Iowa States, uh, as you mentioned yeah. earlier, that's what got him over the line through the Electoral Correct. College last time. Um, surely that's going to uh, go his way and, and in greater numbers this time. Because of what I said earlier, if this was a normal year, if this was a normal presidential election, we'd know the result on the night and the result would be Donald Trump has been re-elected. I have no doubt. Um, but what did I say before? You know, the old adage has come to play, never let uh, a good crisis go to waste. And so there's this huge, post for, uh, huge, huge push for postal votes. Um, and Donald Trump's against that very, very rightly so, because it's open to abuse. Uh, you have, um, some states, uh, and counties where, um, postal voting has happened and they've returned more votes than actually people are enrolled within those counties. So it's going to be open to massive fraud. And what we're going to see is no, no clear result on the night because a lot of people, because of the fear of the virus, are not going to actually go and vote. They will postal vote, and so it will drag on. And well, George, that would be disastrous for America if there's any a lack of clarity over the result. There I, will I mean, be. You and I, 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 can I have zero that. doubt that there will be a lack of clarity. Well, well I remember what it was like when um, George W. Bush was elected in that contested election against Al Gore, and, um, you know, America was uh, seething with polarisation at that time. It's going to be 10 times worse if, if this yep. is a contested election. You're, you're, I heard from an American friend the other day. He said, if you think what uh, what's happening on the streets is bad, you ain't seen nothing yet. Wait until after the election. Uh, I mean, a lot of people are saying this is going to be a big problem. It's going to drag out. It probably will end up in the courts. Uh, there'll be, sure. you know... There'll be bags of postal votes that'll suddenly appear out of thin air. Um, results will be challenged. Um, it, it, this is probably going a bit far, but even someone suggesting that it might have to go to Congress to work it out, and then that's going to be uh, a major, a major issue. Then, so um, look, anything could happen. I could be completely wrong. He might, you know, just uh, there might just be a big push behind Trump, and he might get over the line in that night, and it'll be a a pretty, um, uh, you know, open and closed case of him just being re-elected in the landslide. But uh, I just somehow don't think so. I think that um, what Hillary Clinton said uh, on that sort of vidcast that she did the other day, uh, that Joe Biden should not concede, this is going to be a long and drawn-out process. They know right now exactly what the strategy is. Draw it out as long as possible. Take it to the courts take it to the streets and see where the chips lay. You know, um, Lyle, I don't know if you saw, but uh, Joe Podesta, who was uh, Hillary Clinton's sort of Svengali, um, and a bunch of other people, some uh, what they call rhinos over there, Republicans in name only, the sort of never-Trumper Republicans, uh, and a whole heap of the ex, um, ex-aides out of the Obama administration, they did a bit of wargaming. Um, uh, they had this thing they called the uh, Integrity Project uh, where they were wargaming potential results of the election. And um, Podesta was playing uh, Joe Biden in this uh, you know, role-playing game that they were doing. And um, he refused to concede. He refused wow. to concede. Wow. Yeah. And um, you know, he, he then asked the military to get involved. 
He then there was even yeah. outcomes where they were saying that certain states should cede from the union. Yeah, um, yeah. So this, this is, is the crazy yeah. sort of it is the frightening. Fact this is being seriously talked about by yeah. you know, political people like Podesta and the, uh, yeah, for, for people who don't re remember, four years ago Hillary Clinton. That's right, she didn't concede on the night, um, which was extraordinary because they they just thought Trump was illegitimate, and how much more so this time around. George, I really hope and pray that the scenarios that you're painting don't happen. I think that's truly frightening. I hadn't heard that analysis, but I knew in getting you on today. I know you're a follower of US politics and um, what you've contributed is extraordinary. I'm sure people will enjoy this um, show, even though it's gone a bit longer than, than normal. But, but George, just um, before we go, and, and at, we're way over time, but I, I wanted to ask you a question on domestic politics, if I may, and um, this show is going to air a week or so after the events that I'm talking about today. But uh, Scott Morrison's just announced with Angus Taylor uh, new gas-fired power stations um, if the private sector fail to deliver, uh, particularly in New South Wales where uh, baseload power is becoming critical as it has become in Victoria. We're seeing that wind and solar can't do the job and the government's stepping in now, ramping up uh, gas. Uh, what's your thoughts on that? Um, would it have been cheaper for us to have built coal-fired power stations? You've, you've set it up for a Dorothy Dixer there. Uh, well, uh, uh, absolutely, it would have been. Um, gas is still by far cheaper than uh, most renewables, but uh, coal is even cheaper. But I, I guess that there are, you know, it's just it's the elephant in the room. There's, there's political um, pressure from certain elements and certain states not to go down the, uh, uh, the, the coal route anymore. Uh, well, you know, if they don't want it, we certainly want it up here in North Queensland and we're pushing for a coal-fired power station up here. But they're so going to need to do something. So what the government's delivering, and, and uh, look, the positive that I see out of this is that at least the country is getting back on track to a trajectory of reliable electricity. Um, having, That's right. Having gone the other way, we've seen it become more and more unreliable as more and more wind and solar has gone into the grid. And, of course, it's got more and more expensive. So... At least this is going to bring some reliability back into the system. And, and whilst it won't be as cheap as what it used to be, um, it'll still be a lot cheaper than what it would be if we keep going down the wind, solar and, and um, experimental you know, policies of, of batteries, etc. Absolutely, it will. And so uh, to that end, it's a, it's a great move and uh, we need more of it. If the private sector won't deliver, uh, we can't leave it uh, up to these woke corporations anymore, I think. We need yeah. to get in there and actually show the leadership, and I think Scott Morrison's a man to do it. He certainly has. No, it's been good to see. Well, George, look, thank you so much for being so generous with your time on the live show. It's been a fascinating discussion, and um, look forward to talking to you again some other time. Cheers. The Lyle Shelton Show is a production of The Good Source, hosted by Lyle Shelton. To watch, listen to, or read more content without the SJW PC fact filter, visit goodsource.news, good, S-A-U-C-E dot news. Become a Good Source supporter for exclusive access to live and unedited interview recordings, including the conversations before and after the show.